You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. It's good to be home from all the joints around. Um, I love going on holiday, but uh, but I also love being here among you and missed you um, because we didn't really have any opportunity to go to uh, church while we were away. Um, But I have to tell you, I had experiences um, across our trip to India and, um, where else did we go? Thailand and and Vietnam, um, in particular, where I felt God so close. And it was amazing because there were times when I felt really cocooned in God. And the reason, or, or, or the amazing thing about that was often it was while I was standing in a Hindu temple in the sanctuary of truth, um, as Andrew wrote, um, yes, but did you find the truth? <laughs> I wrote on my Facebook page and um, I thought, I said nothing I didn't know before because actually I looked around and saw amazing carvings. How these people managed to do that um, just was mind-blowing. But the sad thing was, you know, there was gods for everything and goddesses for everything. Vietnam was particularly um, quite, uh, I, I don't know quite what the words are, but, you know, the guide was explaining that they're a communist country, but they've got gods for everything. There was a god for money, there was a god for this, for that, for the next thing, and they had all these gods. And just in case there was an, you, anything you could think of, you could make another god. And it reminded me so much of, you know, there's, there, of, of scripture where it says that, you know, there, were, there was the, the, the statue to the unknown God because they just couldn't find what God was. Um, and they were so afraid. And, and, of course, we know that the unknown God is the God of, of, of our salvation, the God that we have been worshipping this morning. So there was a lot of truth when I was singing just now. I've searched the world Gosh, yes, it felt like we were searching the world, but the amazing thing was that God was in it all. And even standing in, whether it was a Buddhist temple or a Hindu temple or whatever it was, I felt cocooned in this, and I just was able to thank God that I know who you are. And and the sad thing, actually, was watching people come and very, very solemnly and very intently, you know, offer worship to Buddha or... Um, to one of the Hindu gods because they were seeking and they wanted to have this knowledge of God. I searched the world, they're still searching and yet we have found this amazing God who's always for us. So um, I prepared this message, sought the Lord for it before I went on holiday Um, and it seems a bit of a time ago because I think it was about four weeks but um, you know, all through it, uh, all through the holiday, God just kept saying that's what it's about. I'm the one and only. And that's my title this morning, the one and only. I have to say, I was as I was preparing and thinking, what's the title going to be? Um, and this kept coming to me and I thought, it sounds so twee. Um, and I thought, maybe I'm thinking about, you know, when we go on the cruise and we'll, be, we'll go to the... Uh, to a couple of the shows in the evening and the compere, you know, who's always so loud and brash and just will say, and now we have the one and only. And I thought, Lord, is that what you're doing? But actually, when I was there, I realized the one and only is our God who's 
not just, you know, the magician coming on to do, or the singer, or the celloist, or who were all amazing, but um, the actual part of it that really struck me was that standing in those temples and feeling just that love of God just shine through. It was like a ray of light. Um, and looking at all these, and I was marveling at them because they, they, were, they were amazing. And how men and, men and women managed to do these things is beyond me. But they were still seeking for the God that we have found. So yes, it was a, it was a fantastic holiday and a, and a real experience. And, and I think we both thoroughly enjoyed it. Although David would still rather go to Cullen on holiday. But <laughs> that's probably the way it goes. Yeah. Um, I do love going on holiday, and I love, I love seeing new places, but um, for those of you uh, who, who don't know me, and um, for those of you who do, I, I don't expect any of you know just really how much I love Boness. Um, the thing about Boness is nobody's ever heard of it unless they know somebody who lives here. The thing about Boness is that people slag it off relentlessly. I'm not looking at any of you Linlithgow people when I say that. <laughs> Bonus is a place that the council seems to have forgotten exists. Um, and it's not helped, I don't think, by us having a West Lothian postcode inside a Falkirk council area. Goodness knows what the government is thinking about, but that's it. But for me, no matter what, Bonus is home. Always has been, always will be. Yes, I know we had a few years in Israel, but that was a God appointment, and Bonus was still home even then, because I had it written into my contract before I went that I would get home five times a year. See, I just love bonus. I really do. And David knows this because it was a deciding factor about where we were going to live when we got together. Now, obviously, he doesn't love Inverness as much as I love bonus because bonus won. I don't think there was ever any, never any doubt, Pet, was there? I love Bonus. It's the quirkiest place on earth. You never really belong to Bonus, all you people who have moved into the town, unless you can go back at least a hundred generations. <laughs> but for all its faults, and I know there are many, it's my home and I love it. And you know, if you were a first century uh, Christian living in Colossae, you might well have felt the same about your town because it wasn't really a very significant place. And probably if Paul hadn't written his letter to the Colossian church and it hadn't been included in the New Testament, the chances are we would never have heard about Colossae because Paul never went there. He didn't begin the church there. He wrote two letters though, around the same time. One was to the Ephesian church and we have that wonderful letter in our scriptures. And the other was to the Colossian church. Two letters quite different in context, in content, sorry. Paul gives a picture of, to the Ephesian church, of what the body is to the head. So what the church is to God. But Colossians focuses on what the head is to the body. What God is to the church. So let's turn to Colossians and follow with me, please. Chapter 1 and verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus. He's the firstborn over all creation. 
For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is our God. This is Jesus, our God. He's an amazing God. The Colossian Church was founded after Paul's three, um, three years ministry in Ephesus. So he stayed quite a long time in Ephesus and never got to Colossians. But at least two men from Colossae were in Ephesus and heard Paul present the gospel. And they believed it. And they took it back to their hometown, the town they loved, to share the good news with the people. Epaphras and Philemon began the church in Colossae. They, they were a predominantly Gentile community. So they didn't have Jewish background and they didn't have the history of, of uh, Judaism around them. And the church was only about five years old when Paul wrote this letter. And he did so because he heard about a crisis that had occurred that threatened to destroy the ministry of this church. So if you go to Acts, we read in Acts that Paul at this time was in prison. So he wasn't in a particularly good place, but he was really concerned about this church. And we know that he'd met a runaway slave named Onesimus, who belonged to Philemon. The same Philemon the church, who had founded the church five years previously. Paul led Onesimus to the Lord. And then he wrote a letter to Philemon asking him to forgive his runaway slave and take him back as a brother in Christ. Now you can think through for yourself what that's actually saying. His slave is now his brother in Christ. Slavery is something that is absolutely abhorrent to us in, in our century. But we have to try and get our minds around what it was like, what the culture was like in the first century. So what's viewed here through 21st century eyes is as so wrong was the norm and the culture of those days. But a brother who's also your slave takes a lot of thinking about, and Paul sends Onesimus back. At the same time as this was happening, the other Colossian church founder, Epaphras, he comes to Rome to seek Paul's help to refute some of the heretical um, teachings that were happening in the church. Epaphras was desperate to know what to do. And Paul knows that this church is very, very young in its faith. Colossae was a town that was quite cosmopolitan, a bit like Bones, really. Eh? Um, all kinds of philosophies mingled there, and religious hucksters trying to make a name for themselves. Oh, well, they were, they were there vying for position. There was a constant influx of new ideas and doctrines coming from the East, so it was a fertile ground for religious speculations and heresies. We can't condemn this church for that, 
because they didn't know what to really to believe and, and, and what, what was true and what was lies. They didn't have the, the rich history, church history that we have. They didn't have the New Testament. So it was, it was really difficult for them to know what was right. Sometimes today, we hit the same problems. Sometimes it comes through the media, where Satan wants to confuse Christians. And we see it happening all the time. Mainly it's called the God Channel. Some amazing truth there, but also so much heresy and wrong doctrine. And we need to be really, really careful about what we listen to. Paul was very aware that the Colossian church was not willfully unfaithful. They were trying to do the right thing. They were just immature and they couldn't tell what was lies and what was truth. They were not as wary of new teaching as they should have been. They should always have been doing what we must always do too, testing everything we hear. Even from this platform, test everything. Make sure it's according to scripture and that we're not trying to add anything to what God has said. It's vital we do this. The Colossians didn't realize that by welcoming this new teaching, they were being disloyal to what Paul taught about who Christ is. This new teaching was um, a kind of mix. It was some Eastern philosophy, um, there was some Judaism, legalism, Jewish legalism coming in there, and there was some elements of Gnosticism. Amen? No? No, right? Okay. It was just crazy, mixed up doctrine, and completely man-made. And I saw that last in the last couple of weeks, you know, completely man-made Buddhas, Hindu gods, exactly the same. But it is the same today, and it's the same today even for us. People try to complicate what Jesus says when he simply said, come, follow me. Paul wrote to the church to turn them back to seeing who Jesus really is. He is God. He's God's son. He's God. Part of the Trinity. He's God. If we put in all sorts of rules to follow or things that people must do to be saved other than Jesus then we undermine the very foundations of the Christian faith. The heretics infiltrating that church attacked the person and work of Jesus by saying that he wasn't enough. What he did wasn't enough. But you know what? Either Jesus conquering death, hell, and the grave at Calvary, either he did that or he didn't. There's no half measures. No, no half measures never can be. And I can tell you without any shadow of doubt that in his work on the cross, Jesus settled the sin question once and for all time. He completely defeated all satanic forces once and for all time. He puts an end to the legal demands of the law once and for all time. All a believer needs is Jesus. Paul began this letter by, by telling them that he was thankful for what he'd heard about their faith. And he assured them that he was really praying for them. But then he gets down to his point. I love the book of Colossians because it completely focuses on who Jesus is to us, to the church. It focuses on his preeminence. And what better place to focus our attention? We've done that this morning. Focused on Jesus. Paul shows Jesus as saviour, as creator, as head of the church. He is the one and only. He lays out in his letter to show them that Jesus is all. 
Chapter 1 shows Christ's preeminence declared. Chapter 2 is preeminence defended. And chapters 3 and 4, his preeminence demonstrated. The dictionary defines preeminence as the fact of surpassing all others or having superiority. That's Jesus. That's our Jesus, Son of God, above all things, the one and only. Paul's saying that Jesus is absolutely supreme and absolutely sufficient. There's nothing that can be added to what Jesus accomplished at Calvary for us. Nothing that could be added to him to make him more God. He's superior. He surpasses all things. And when we read these six verses in in chapter 1 that we've just read, we hear Paul's own consecrated Um, concentrated, weighty confession of faith. This is Paul. This is what he believes with all his heart. It's the beating heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is all in all. He is the one and only. There's definitely no human being who can help us get free of sin. And I have to tell you, there's no other spiritual power able to bring humankind God's full and final salvation. It was so sad to watch people come and very, very intently pray to all these gods and pray to Buddha and ask them to to help them be better people when we know the only person who can do that is Jesus Christ. What was happening in Colossae was that they seemed ready to deny the sufficiency of Jesus or to try to add to what he had already won for them. So they took this Gnostic view that said that the human body was evil, that all matter was evil, and so Jesus couldn't have had a human body. Well, that makes a mockery of the gospel because Jesus has to be completely God and completely man at the same time for it to mean anything. It caused no end of trouble for this, this young church trying to do their best but not really being sure of what was what. The trouble was that either if they believed that, then either they were tethered by severe self-discipline or they gave way to unbridled sin. If your body's evil, you can do two things. You can either indulge it or you can enslave it. And that's not what scripture tells us. We've read in in verse 15 that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now that's not referring to time um, but it's referring to place and status. It's affirming that Jesus, his importance, he's of first rank. Jesus is is an exact representation and revelation of God. How would we ever know what God was like if Jesus hadn't come and shown us? Hebrews 1 and 3 says Jesus is an exact representation of God's being. In Jesus, we see God's love, his goodness, his justice, his forgiveness, we see all of that in action. Jesus himself said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. God is spirit, but Jesus has revealed him to us by becoming a man. We can look at the wonder of creation. Nature reveals its existence, his power and wisdom of God. It does, but it can never reveal the very essence of God to us. That needed Jesus. No wonder the wind and waves obeyed him. No wonder death and sickness must give way when he speaks, for all things were made by him and for him. He's the master over everything. All things 
must obey him, for they, he, they are under his command. This is who we belong to as believers. Paul goes on to tell this church that all things were made by him and for him. He's the sphere in which they exist, the agent through which they came into being, and the one for whom they were made. I loved that when I read it. Sorry, I'm back to Warren Wearsby, and I was trying to stay away from him a bit, but they're his words, not mine, but so powerfully true. He's the sphere in which they exist, the agent through which they came into being, and the one for whom they were made. If everything in creation exists for him, then nothing can be evil in itself, except Satan and the fallen angels. Creation then, even though it's under the bondage of sin, can be used for God's glory and enjoyed by God's people. Paul tells the church that Jesus holds all, thing to get, all things together. Sorry, I read a story about a guide who was taking um, a group of tourists around an atomic laboratory. Not something I would have wanted to do on holiday, but they were going around and hearing all about it. And he was explaining how all matter is composed of rapidly moving electrical particles. Um, the tourist studies the models of, of molecules and they were amazed to learn that matter is made up mainly of space. And then the guide asked if they had any questions. So one tourist said, yeah, if, if this is the way that matter works, what holds it all together? And there was no answer. But we have the answer. It's here. We've just read it. His name is Jesus. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. This is another affirmation that Jesus is God. Only God existed before creation, and only God can make creation coherent. I remember a time when, as a young Christian, I thought that being born into the world and uh, um, was born into sin and being sinful meant that Satan was completely in charge of the world. But the truth is, this is God's world. And it might look as if Satan is running wild, but our God is the ultimate winner. He's the one who won it all on the cross. He cannot be beaten. Listen again to what Paul says of who Jesus is. Jesus is the head of the church, no one else. It's his church and his alone. In the New Testament, there's a number of images of, of uh, how this works, the church. But the body is the most important one. And this body is composed of all true believers. There's no denomination can claim dominance. When a person trusts Jesus as saviour, asks, um, asks for his forgiveness for sin, and follows him, then the he or she becomes part of the body, the church, and Christ is the head. We've just read that. In Greek usage, the word head means source, or origin, as well as leader or ruler. I love that. Jesus is the source of the church, as well as the leader. There's no other head. There's only Jesus Christ. His resurrection proves his deity and is a sign of his authority. There's no earthly office even approaches his position. He's the one and only. He did give gifts to the church, we're apostolic. We know these gifts. Ephesians 4.11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. 
But these people were given to the church to serve the church, to teach the church how to serve. But they draw all their authority from him. Without him, they're nothing, absolutely nothing. And they can only operate to show Jesus out of love, showing Jesus in all they do, giving example to the church. If we follow Jesus, truly Christ-like, in all our dealings with people, and how we speak, and how we act, and what we do, Bones won't be able to miss him. If we really follow what he's saying, they won't be able to miss him. I know when I say this, I'm preaching to the converted, because you're all sitting here this morning, but I know it must be said, because, because I belong to the universal church, so the church that we're talking about just now, where, God's the, uh, where, where Jesus is the head and, and we're part of the body, that doesn't release me from my responsibilities to the local church. I get really concerned when I hear Christians trying to go alone because I don't know how they'll ever manage. You know what? I can't minister to the whole church, but I can strengthen and build up and encourage the church by ministering to God's people in Riverview in the local church and I don't just mean st when standing at the front here um, and, and preaching it's all of us, all of us together praying for each other seeing needs helping meet those needs by being there for each other that's the most important thing he's put us together to be part of his body and he needs us all in it together showing Jesus to Boness. And he, Jesus, is the head of the, the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This was God's purpose in having his son be saviour, creator, and head of the church. You know, this is the only place where this, the, the word which is translated preeminence is used in scripture. It's nowhere else. Nobody else in scripture. It magnifies the unique position of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. He's before everything else. Colossians 3 and 11 says, Christ is all and is in all. Jesus is the one and only. And I know if, if you've heard me preach before, you'll know that how much I love history. I, I just do. I, I think history makes sense of the, um, helps us make sense of the present when we understand something of the past. And I love the history of Scotland and I love the history of Britain, but the history of Christianity is exactly the same. We understand so much more because men of old sought God for answers. And, and, and listening to and looking at church history, some of them really paid the price for it. But they were the ones who brought our scriptures together. And we learn so much from the example of men who have gone before and brought us our faith. In 1893, Dwight L. Moody, a great American evangelist, heard about the World's Columbian Exhibition in Chicago. There was more than 21 million people visited the exhibits. And among the features was a World Parliament of Religions. How about that? We think it's just something that's happening now. Oh my goodness, it's been going on a long time. Well, this World Parliament of Religions had an aim to, uh, to meet together to share the best points of all the religions. And the thought was that they could come up with a brand new religion to meet the needs of the people. How about that? Well, Moody saw this as a great opportunity. 
not to be part of the parliament, but to present Jesus to those visiting this exhibition. And there was loads of buildings that were being used as part of the exhibition, but he found any building he could to get his hands on to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his friends wanted that Moody would really attack the folly of the Parliament of Religions. But he refused to do that. He said, I am going to show Jesus so attractive, men will turn to him. Moody understood that Jesus is the preeminent saviour. Not just one of the religious leaders of history. Not just someone who came up with good ideas and got loads of followers. His Chicago campaign of 1893 was probably the greatest evangelistic endeavour of his life and thousands came to Christ because they found that he was the one and only. When men and women see the reality of Jesus, of God loving the world so much that he was willing to send his own son to bring them people back to himself, they'll want to give their lives to him. It's so often more the truth that the world outside looks at the church and sees it's a poor place and turn away from him. God forbid that we ever are part of that. We want to show Jesus as the one and only to our town and to our nation. The church in Colossae was in a bad place because they weren't giving Jesus the place of preeminence. According to their new philosophy, he was one of many ways to God. And we still hear that all the time. Well, that's okay for you. Be a Christian, but I'll find God another way. I'll go and worship him in creation. I'll go and pray to Buddha, whatever. But you know what? He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. But he is preeminent and he is also the beloved of his father. It pleased God to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Paul also described Jesus as being God's dear son. Ephesians 1 and 6 says, accepted in the beloved. For this reason calls us his beloved. He calls you his beloved. Isn't that amazing? You are God's beloved. You maybe don't feel very lovely this morning. You maybe don't feel that anybody is interested in you. But let me tell you, God says... You're his beloved. What a letter written from Paul to this Colossians church. Written to correct wrong thinking, but blessing us out of our socks in the 21st century too. I'm beloved of God. Let that really sink in. Beloved of God, the, the son of the almighty God, creator of the universe, the one who holds the whole world in place, came to take my punishment so that I could go free. And not only that, he, say, he says, you're my beloved. I love you so much. It's amazing. No wonder Paul writes this to make them see the truth that Jesus is more than enough and that nothing else can come near him. God is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And he, sa he says in verse 19, the Greek word he used for dwell means more than just to reside. It means to be at home permanently. You got that? It means to be at home permanently. It's not just about that's where I live. So, you know, that's where I live in Bones, but I like to go on holiday. It's not like that. You know, you go to God's house, he's always there. 
There's no chance of him being too busy to speak to you. There's no chance of him not being at home. He's there. And he did this because Jesus is his son and he's the only one who could reconcile us to himself. Paul's re-emphasizing only God has the power to do this. Only, only in, in Christ is man reconciled to God. And this reconciliation had to be initiated by God because there was such a chasm between us and him. It was too great. We could have wanted it, but unless God initiated it, it would never happen. But he's done it for us because of his great love for us. I know the majority of people in this building today have recognized Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. You know his reconciliation. But I want to give anybody who hasn't the opportunity here to hear what he's saying to you. There's three things he's saying to you. He says, Jesus has taken care of everything. All things were created by him and for him. He existed before all things, and today he holds everything together. He reconciled all things through the cross. No wonder Paul says in verse 18, in everything he might have the supremacy, the preeminence. Remember what that is. The second thing he's telling you is that all you need is Christ. We have all of God's fullness in him and we are filled full in him. There's nothing that can be added to the person or the work of Jesus Christ. He's the one and only. All you need to do is believe it. And the third thing he's saying is God is pleased when his son Jesus Christ is honoured and given that preeminence. Listen, Jesus Christ is the saviour, he's the creator, he's the head of the church, and he's beloved of the Father. He's eternal God, and he chooses you to be his own. He deserves preeminence in our lives too. So will you give him that? Will you hand your life over to him? I'm going to tell you, you will never regret that decision, even when it's tough. Even when it's hard, even when you think everything's gone wrong, even when the ceiling feels like it's brass and you can't reach heaven, he always, always, always will be there for you. He only has good to offer you. Yep, you can go and look elsewhere at other religions. You can look at a guru. You can look at think tanks. You, whatever, whatever you think you can, you can try. New Age, there's another one. Paul told the mixed-up Colossians church, none of these things will give you peace because it can only be found in the one and only, in Jesus Christ. He's here. He's here this morning, and he's waiting. So even if you haven't reached out to him before, even if you're not sure, you're not even sure he's there, reach out to him because he's waiting to be found, and you'll find in him everything you need because he is the one and only. Amen.